0: We're going to backtrack a little bit and discuss a couple of topical things over the next few weeks before we plow through Genesis 2. And I have this stool behind me in case my foot starts hurting. In the scripture there in Genesis 1, we see the beginning of that which was not. We see the very reality of out of nothing came everything. And that we see that before there was, there was always God. God himself, in himself and of himself, is and always will be and has been content with himself. And that might be a little, what? What are you trying to say? In other words, God needs nothing. He is complete. He is self-loved. And that love that he has for himself is sufficient for his own purposes. There are a lot of things that we can go through the scripture. And God's people throughout history have made it a mission to, as they learn something new, they want to explore it and they want to invest in it. And they want to express it and to share it. And that is a good thing. And as God's people, we have the liberty... Let me say that again. As God's people, we have the liberty to be able to discuss that which we see or consider in Scripture without fear, without condemnation, and without frustration. And so we need to keep that in mind. Because God has revealed to us Himself in everything that is written in this Word. And only that which is written in this Scripture... Only that which is written here is truth. It is not our inferences or our ideas or our logical conclusions. As a matter of fact, God frustrates logical conclusions. Because for Jesus Christ to be completely, fully, truly God eternal and also completely, truly, fully human is a frustration of logic. Because the two cannot exist. You cannot have... Elohim and humanity in the same thing, but yet he is in the same person, Jesus the Christ. And that is why it is important for us to be submissive to the scripture, to be patient, and to expect God alone to show and to teach. It is not for us to correct God, but it is for God to correct us. We don't get to say, this is who God is, except that God says, this is who I am. And I guarantee you, if we all, if, if I went down the rabbit trail of, of, of things that I have heard and thought and been exposed to over my lifetime, and I said, oh, raise your hand if you've ever heard this, we'd have hands going up and down all over the place, You know, uh, and, and how many of you have ever believed this? We've had hands going up and down all over the place. And there's some of the things that I would say, how many of you think this now? And some of us would have hands going up and down all over the place. And the question is, how do you know what you know concerning the truth of who Christ is, of who God is, if it's not from the Word? Can you prove to the person sitting next to you From the scripture in its context, what you say you know about Christ. This very moment. Can you go to a passage of scripture, if I say God is good. If I say God is good. And that's true. As a matter of fact, I will say this. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Or this morning. (laughs) It's a late day. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Is that the goodness of God is that real attribute from which all things flow. All. Let me tell you something. All things flow. God's goodness is from which His righteousness comes. His justice, His wrath, His love, His hate, His goodness. Because God is holy. And see, a lot of people think holy means good. That's not what it means. Holy means different, holy means set apart, holy means to be separate. Be holy, be separate, be as I am, God says, for I am holy. But out of that holiness, out of that separation, why is God separate? Because he is good in all ways at all times. God's goodness is what makes him God, and vice versa. Because he's God, he's good. Now, it's become cliche in our world. It's become cliche, as I've said many times over, is people that say, "But God is good all the time and all the time. God is good, and it's, just a, it's almost like a farce, right? It's like in high school when, you know, we were national champions in basketball. And I can't remember what the sl- oh, I know what the slogan was. We ain't no joke, which said we were a joke. Our English teachers were upset about it, but hey, what do you say? We're national champions. We'll say what we want to say. That's how it worked. And we could have little things and we could yell little things in pep rally and the entire student body would yell out the response. And I think that that's where we are in our culture today. I think that we're yelling out a pep rally response to what we hear. If God is good, we just yell out the the pep rally response in our minds. We yell out the pep rally response because culturally speaking, it's really cool to agree on godly things. Yet, if we're not agreeing in the context of Scripture, we don't know what we're talking about. If we can't go to the Psalms... And see, just like this morning as I read Psalm 33, if we can't go to the Psalms and see that God's steadfast love endures forever, then we don't know that God's love endures forever. We may know it in our brains. We may know that it is true, but do we really know it? We need to learn. We need to learn. We need to learn the Word. How do you learn the Word? You read it. You read it over and over again. That's how you know a psalm. That's how you know a book. That's how you can quote movie lines. I can quote movie lines from 35 years ago. Verbatim. And I can correct the knuckleheads who think they know the lines and they try them and they go, no, that's not right. You got the inflection wrong. (laughs) You got the pronunciation wrong. You got the slang wrong. It's not in, it's at. I mean, you know, we're particular about these things which we love. Let us be as particular about the Scripture. Not in a suspicious way, not in a paranoid way. That is not of the Lord, but in a way that is resolving to make sure that we always tell the truth concerning who God is and always tell the truth concerning what God has said because when we take it lightly, we can lead a lot of people down to the pet rally mode of just repeating the actions and repeating the language that they know nothing of. And beloved, if we're just repeating that which we know nothing of, how can we test it? We have to test it according to the scriptures. We have to test it according to the context. Do you know there are no contradictions in this scripture? None. There are no theological and didactic teaching. There are no teaching contradictions in the scripture. There are none. Now, I've seen higher critics. I've seen people write volumes on it. And I find it a really weird and strange effort. Well, they said three and they said two. Said before the dawn, they said at dawn. Andrew came before Peter, Peter came before Andrew. You know, I saw we had a little conversation Wednesday night about Q. If you don't know who Q is, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is what we do, isn't it? This is what we do in our humanity. It's is what we do when we get a piece of information that's simplistically taught by the Spirit of God, by His grace alone, and we receive it through the Scripture. We want to piece it out. We want to, we want to unpack it more. And we think that that intellectual pursuit is spirituality. It's not. It's humanism. Do you think... Moses had an idea about DNA. Do you think he had any understanding about proteins? Do you think God is revealing anything about proteins in His holy writ? No, not at all. Carbon either. When I was growing up, carbon was that thing that went between the pages so that you could keep a copy. That's why it's called a carbon copy. Most people are going to go, what? The Word of God teaches us a lot of things about God. And one of the things that we need to really make sure we we don't miss, and I've said it already, but I want you to to see that this is exegetical. It's out of the text. It's exposing what the Bible is actually teaching, that God in all his ways is good. And Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that. And Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that God alone has the power to make all things good. And therefore, Jesus, who is Messiah, the same word as Christ, the holy anointed one come from God, like in John 3, when Nicodemus says, we know you are the one come from God, we know you are Mashiach, we know you are Messiah, we know you are the Christ. For no one can do that which you do except God be with him. He confessed that Jesus was the Christ. He knew it. a thousand percent assurance he knew that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming one. But yet he didn't know Christ. The data of doctrine will not save you. Only... God can save you. The understanding of things will not save you. Only the Spirit of God can save you by grace. Christ has the power to make all things good. In Genesis 1, we saw the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, the creation of land, the creation of the sky, creation of every living place, every place where living creatures can exist, and then we saw God create living creatures in each spot for his purposes, and what did he call it every single day? What did he call these things? He called them by their names, sky and dirt, okay? That's heavens and earth, sky and dirt. This is the created, the physical essence of the of the atmosphere and the ground. And the waters and the and the and and the waters once they were separated, this this creation of waters before that it was the abyss. It was the nothing. There was nothing there. And then God created the waters. Why? Because the purpose of that, as we've seen, is that God is the only one who can take nothing and make everything. And what was creation's role in the whole of this? Nothing. Because it was nothing. It did not exist. It wasn't laying somewhere in a subatomic particle to be exposed by the power and the control of God who had harnessed this stuff. It is that God was and then he created all that there is. God called this light, God called this night, God called this day, God called this heavens, God called this earth, God called this land, he called this seas, he called these creatures, he called this beasts, he called these plants, trees, all sorts of things. But every single time he also called it good. And it was good. Now we have an ongoing battle in my home. I mean, it's been going on for at least a year and a half, two years. Maybe COVID instigated or not, but there's nothing that goes on in my house that's not competitive. I don't know why. And I've lost my competitiveness. I guess when I tore my shoulder up a couple of years ago, I just decided to quit trying to run and be fast and be quick. But I'm fully aware and conscious of time, almost constantly, constantly. Pretty much like on a stopwatch, I can tell you how many minutes have gone by. I don't, you know, it's just it's this weird thing. And so I've always made it a point to know how quickly or what's the most efficient way. Not obsessive, but just an efficient way. If I do this, if I lay this here, if I put this here, then it's a lot more efficient. If I drive and traveling, oh my goodness. My family doesn't even talk when we're going on trips. They just don't even talk. They eat MREs a couple of days ahead of time, so they don't have to go to the bathrooms. And, I mean, you know, because <laughs> they don't stop. You don't stop There's a certain amount of time. But compet- competition. I mean, hey, do you have the answer to this? Robin will come in and say, hey, guess what I learned? Bet you I don't know this. You know? And she's got a lot of interesting facts and data and I mean, discoveries. We're always discovering something new. But it's now plagued down into our, well, you know what? I bet I can finish this chest moving quicker than you could. I bet I can get my shoes on faster than you could. I don't know where that came from. I mean, just, you know. And as the kids get older, it's not as bad. But Abigail has it really bad, right? You know. Draw a picture. Out of all the pictures that have ever been drawn in the world, Dad, where does mine place? It's at the top. <laughs> No, choose. Is it the highest? Of all the pictures you've drawn, this is the best one you've ever... Dad, you're not answering my question. You know. Cousins come over, draw pictures. Which one's better? (laughs) You lose. I mean, you know, this happened last night. I mean, it was just like, what in the world? We're not in competition. But we have this innate desire for everything we do to be good. We want to be good. I mean, I I went to music school, performance and jazz, saxophone, and and, and voice and other things, and I've never met anybody, you know, you you went to music school, I've never met anybody enter music school, and you know what, I stink at music, I just think I'd enjoy this. Well, guess what? When you stand in front of the faculty and you perform your piece, and then they hand you the sight reading stuff, and you sound like a cat on the tin roof being scratched, yanked off by its tail, they go, thank you, but no thanks. You're not, what, good enough To participate. And everybody in music school thought they were good. And they were good, but they weren't all as good as the others. That's why you had first chair and second chair and third chair. And that really just just determined, am I in the practice room nine hours a day or three hours a day? That's all it meant. (laughs) Nine hours a day, how do you do that? You get in at midnight, you stay till four in the morning. That's what happens. So you can get that extra time. You bathe in the sink and you go to class at 7 a.m. Everybody wants to be good. Everybody wants to be part of creation. Everybody wants to see, oh, God created this. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. You've got to understand something. Our human minds want to say, I'm part of creation, so therefore I'm good. What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler in that? Brother brought it up this morning. Mark 10. What does the rich young ruler say to Jesus? He says to Jesus, what does he say? First, he goes up to Jesus. He calls him master. Teacher. He bows down before him and puts his face on his knees. That's what a bow looked like. This man... His face was on his own knees and says, what must I do, good teacher, in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus retorts this way, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. And there's a lot of implications we can do with that. We're not going to go there today, but there's a lot of implications there. We even, if we don't see ourselves as good, we ascribe goodness to other things, don't we? It's like the word love, right? We love pizza. We love nice weather. We love winter. We love summer. Whatever it is, our prerogative, I do not love summer, except in San Francisco. I love summer in San Francisco. It's pretty chilly. You get to wear jeans and a jacket and a hat, earmuffs after dark. We love, we love, we love. We love our children. We love our dogs. We love our fish. We love our cars. We love each other. We love the Lord. He loves us. Hallelujah. Everything is just one big lovey-dovey time. We do the same thing with good. How you doing? I'm good. Was that pizza good? That pizza was good. I love it. It's good. I don't particularly care for that type of meat. It's not good for me. It's still a good pizza. In comparison of all the pizzas in the world, this is the best one. My daughter must have made it. <laughs> so we ascribe goodness to things that aren't good. And then we misinterpret the idea of who is good and what is good. If Jesus says that only God is good, then why in the world do we consider things good that aren't God? Well, the Bible says in Genesis 1 that he saw that it was good. He made it and he looked down there and says, "Wow, it's good. Well, let's talk about some of that. The title of the sermon today is, Christ has the power to make all things good. And I'm going to focus on the goodness of God in a way that you've probably not ever thought about it from the context of Genesis chapter 1. And I don't have to go through and read all these things. I mean, you can see them. He created these things. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then when he gets to humanity, he says what? It's very good. And we'll talk about that next week. When we talk about the image of God. We're going to briefly touch it today. And then we're going to talk about it next week in detail. See, Jesus in the Gospels healed people. Jesus in the Gospels fed people. Jesus in the Gospels performed miracles in front of people. Jesus in the Gospels, in the Gospel accounts, well, in his ministry, but in the Gospels it records all of these things that Jesus has done. And so we can even say, okay, God is good, and only God is good, and then God does good. Jesus does good things. Jesus fed people. Good things. They were hungry. He gave them something to eat. Matter of fact, Jesus even commands all his people, all the church, all the elect, all the believers. He commands us all to do what? To do good to other people. To do well in serving them. To love them by laying down our lives and what we have for the sake of their needs. Even when they hate us. Is that not what Christ did for us? His people? His people? While we were what? Listen to the language of Paul. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sins and trespasses, He laid down His life for us. Effectually. And affectionately. Jesus did all these things. And why did Jesus do all these miracles? Well, it proved He was God. It proved He is the Creator of all things. Because only... God can give blind men sight. Only God can make legs grow. Only God can take a born paralytic and give them the ability to walk. Only God can take water and turn it into the finest wine that the world has ever seen. Only God can raise a man rotting in a grave to life. Only God can lay down his own life and take it up again. And the scriptures teach us that everything if everything Jesus taught and if every miracle he ever did was written down, what does it say? There's not enough paper in the world. So the small, tiny, little, microscopic picture of the ministry of Jesus Christ doesn't even scratch the surface of what he did teach and what he did accomplish and, what, and the people that he did interact with. But yet everything that we need to know and everything that He ever taught is completely preserved in the Scriptures. He didn't leave stuff out, but He taught to so many more people. He did miracles in front of and for so many other people. And, beloved, we have to understand this is the nature of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who became flesh... And dwelt among us, tabernacled with us in John 1. Lived among his own creation as if he were himself a created thing. He wasn't. He's the creator of all things. So that he may, what? In the purpose of the world's existence, be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of all of his people. Throughout the entire world. We've learned already, and this is something that I want you to ascribe to God's goodness. Is that God, out of nothing, made something. And that out of chaos, He made order. And that out of order, He made life. And out of life, He purposed redemption. And out of redemption, He gave very certain promises. And this is sort of that's sort of a recap of what we've learned in the last three weeks. God's promises are as powerful and authoritative as his decrees, because that's what they are. God said, Let there be light, and then there was light. It existed because God said that it would and it became. God said it was good, and that's why it is good. Not because of itself. So then when God makes these promises, he's not, He does not suggest or promise something and then wait on something else on the outside to fulfill His promises. God is not waiting for man, for humanity to do something or to respond or to approach Him or to approach His parameters. He didn't create the land and the sky and say, Okay, there are the building blocks of life. Get to it. He didn't put Adam in the garden and say, make yourself a wife. God does not wait upon another in order for something to be. Listen to this church. He says it, and it is. He says it, and he does it. He decrees it, therefore it shall come to pass. Sound familiar, Isaiah? God speaking. If God says it, it shall come to pass. You know what we really have a problem? It's not just not understanding the goodness of God. It's not understanding the sovereignty of God. So I'll infiltrate that idea into this message today. God's goodness is the quintessential centerpiece of His essence. Let me say that again. God's goodness is the quintessential centerpiece of his essence. Everything flows from that. Everything. Everything's attached to that. Why? Because God, in everything that he is, is God. Everything that is God is God. Everything that is in God is God. God's goodness is attached to everything he is. Therefore, it's attached to everything he does. Now see, the world likes that message. Because the world then leaves Scripture with that knowledge and goes, Yes! God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. God is good in the morning. God is good in the evening. God is good in the midday afternoon. God is good because look at here, there's a new pair of shoes. Look at here, this new job. Look at here, this health report. Well, is God good in the bad times? Is God good in the destruction? Teach a seven-year-old about how God's goodness. I've been talking to my seven-year-old a lot in the last eight or nine days about the goodness of God. And most importantly, his sovereignty. And it's blowing her mind. She came up to me the day before yesterday. She said, Daddy, how is it when a baby dies good? See, we've got a grandchild now. so There's this new baby in the family. And, of course, everybody's always thinking about stuff like that. How is it good? So what did I do? I taught her what the scripture says, and then I reminded her about the life of Joseph. See, the life of Joseph, I can't wait to teach that sometime next year, you know. The life of Joseph is is a really good picture about God's all-the-time goodness. He's always good. And people who have not been granted the change of mind, which is saving faith, to know him to understand him and to be at peace with who he is as he's revealed himself to us. Um, They don't get this. They think that it's maniacal. Why in the world? But see, they don't understand God's goodness is at the centerpiece of who he is. And so when things happen, he is sovereign over them. God isn't permitting the creature to establish bad. God has decreed the bad to take place for his purposes. And one real thing, you know, we could go to Job, but I decided that Joseph was a more benign story than Job at bedtime. It's always bedtime. Daddy, I want to hear about the Bible, you know. (laughs) An hour ago you didn't. but Joseph was hated by his family. Joseph was ordained and called of God to be a ruler over all people. And the method and the progress and the procedure, or whatever you want to call it, of how God ordained and decreed that is that through hatred, murder, lies, selling into slavery, lying to the father about his death. I mean, how many years did they live under that lie, and they were fine with it. The story's not about how wicked the men are, as brothers are. The story is how good God is. And the scriptures say there, God says in his word, what men intended for evil, I use for good. In Romans chapter 8, when we see that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, nothing, God himself cannot separate us from his love because his love is eternal. His love flows from his goodness toward his people in the giving of his son so that his righteousness, his justice, his wrath is satisfied. You understand that these are inseparable realities of who God is. They're all together, the same at all times, in all ways, because God is unchanging. He does not operate in any specific time frame of human, of human existence in any different way for any different motive. He is always moving straight toward the sense of showing His glory and the redemption of His people. And His righteousness is established in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for His people. And those people will come to know, acknowledge, and understand His love for them. And that's, that's, that's why it's called the good report, the good news. It's a good news story. The gospel should never be bad news. It's a good news story. So when we see this, it is good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. We need to see that God has revealed Himself in, in several ways here, but two specific ways I want us to understand. God proves, him, proves two specific things that I want to focus on today in the creation, in the revelation of Scripture. One is that He is able. And two... He alone is able. <laughs> I want you to hear those two things again. God is able. Now, back in the late 80s or early 90s or sometime, I remember there was a Christian song out, God is able. And it just, I don't know, this music was terrible. You remember that? It was, look back on it, this is terrible stuff. And the music was terrible. I mean, just from it, it was not good. <laughs> we put that on competition, it'd get a C. But God is able. Nobody disagrees with that. God is able to do all things. But he goes beyond that. and he reveals that only he is able. Only God is able to create. Only God is able to make all things good. Only God is able to do what God is doing. He doesn't need us. Now, for the philosophers in the room who care, you know, secondary causes. Okay, God is the decreer of these things. I, the Lord God, do what I want. I do whatever pleases me. I mean, here's here's a paraphrase of God revealing himself to to the world. And specifically to his people. I can cause a bird to fly from Maine to Oregon. You ever think about that? That birds fly from Maine to Florida. That creatures crawl around the ground thousands of miles and relocate. I can cause a man to come from over here to go over there. Many times in our lives, people say, What are you doing? Why are you going there? What is there? I don't know what's there, but it's okay. We have to go. How do you know? I'm not going to think about that. I just know. Now, that could be insanity or it could be divine intervention. Either way, whether it be through the straitjacket or the minivan, it's the will of the Lord. I'm going to be where God wants me to be. You can call that fatalism. You can call that determinism. I call it sovereignty. I call it part of the goodness of God. So that in the midst of all suffering, teach your children that the suffering is not what God allows. The suffering is what God has decreed to use to strengthen our faith, to give us reasons for worship, to understand that He is powerful in all of these things. As a matter of fact, do you know the gospel in and of itself comes with the greatest suffering in the world? The very fact that Jesus Christ, the eternal God, who became a man, suffered the escape of glory? Man, that sounds like a new universal ride, doesn't it? Escape from glory. <laughs> Can you imagine? It'd be, very, it'd be very tough to figure that one out. And then to be hated? To be in obscurity? How does the God of all glory become obscure? You see him in the temple at a festival? At 12, and you don't see him again until he's 30. And when you do, he starts out. With conflict, And he's hated, and he's homeless, and he's hungry. He's heartbroken. The H, alliteration just comes too easy. And then he dies at the hands of evil men and wicked men who cannot see him for who he is because God the Father has ordained before the creation of time that the reason the world exists is that because only out of chaos can there come life. Only by death can something be rectified. For the remission of sin only comes through the shedding of blood. So God in all of his goodness killed his own son. The creation of the world. So when Jesus heals the blind in his ministry, it is only God who can give sight. When Jesus does anything, It is only God, just like it is only God who can give eternal life. And you realize eternal life is not your faith. Eternal life is the one who is faithful. Jesus the Christ. Therefore, when a person comes to rest in the promise of God in Christ, it is God who has given that person that resting faith, that repentance, so that he or she may know what previously was not known. God does not give details and data and then say, oh, there it is. Take it or leave it. This isn't an option. Would you like first class? Would you like to upgrade? Would you like an early flight? Would you like a layover? Would you like a straight thing? It's going to be $5,000 either way. What option do you want? No, there's no options. The gospel is not this presentation by which Man are given through which men are given opportunity for salvation, the gospel is a proclamation and a declaration of a finished salvation. That's the whole point of Sabbath rest we talked about last Sunday. It's a finished work. Created the world and he's done and it's over and everybody gets to behold the goodness of God and they rest in it. They don't have to work anymore. Retirement is not what you think it is. It's still work. Office time, doctor's office. I mean, you're going to the office either way. It doesn't matter. God doesn't give details and data and then wait upon man. He makes the man know him. And then the man continually learns and grows in the knowledge of grace. The goodness of God. Let's talk about four ways in which the goodness of God is revealed in Genesis 1. First, the goodness of God is revealed in creation. This is obvious, right? And why? I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline. Why does he call it good? Because he made it. Because what God does is good. The thing in and of itself is not good. Why? Oh, where do you get that? Well, listen, man. When we get over to, ladies and gentlemen, men and women. I don't know why I said man. This is a little, rah, Let me tell you right now. All right. The reason, when we get over to Genesis 4... And we start seeing Cain and Abel. We've already preached that. We preached that in Hebrews. We preached that in John. We preached that in 1 John, rather. We've already touched on that. But the reason Cain and all of his glorious, worshipful, amazing offerings were rejected is because God hated Cain. I want you to think about that for a second. He favored Abel. I've got to be careful with that word, though, right? Favored because it has a theological connotation and sometimes we use words or I use words without really thinking about them until somebody says oh, what do you mean by that and then I think about them and then I think about them too much and I obsess over them then I rewrite the dictionary and then I rewrite my language and then I practice in front of the mirror losing that term and then I'm scared of the term and that's ridiculous I just explain and become more precise We shouldn't We shouldn't have to live like that that's not gospel freedom that's That's punishment. So God is in creation showing that no matter who makes something, only God can, but let's just suppose as Cain made an offering unto the Lord, it was completely and perfectly in line with anything that anybody else could present, but it was not accepted because Cain was not accepted. The only reason Abel's offering was good is because God called Abel good and so therefore everything that Abel offered was good because God called it good. Now you see where we're going? The plants and the moons and the stars, as much as it shows the glory of God's divine power, it's not good except that he called it good. And he created it, therefore it is good. He created it. That's so why it's important to know this before we get to the imago dei. What's the image of God? Man, the philosophers has, have filled the fodder of our brains with all sorts of technical things. I think it's enough for a child who could read and sit down and listen to a story to understand and receive in resting faith about what it means to make man in our image, as God says. So hopefully, as we're done in the next few weeks with this, We'll all have a better grasp, a simpler grasp and a resting grasp of what this is actually teaching. So God's goodness is revealed in creation because he is good to create that which is good. And he called it good because he created it. So if he created it and then did not call it good, it would not, he would not be good. And so in creation, God reveals how He can make all things, and He alone is able to make all things. And not only that, He's able to make all things perfect, complete, good, glorious, revealing Himself in every single detail. That's the first way. The second way is God showing His goodness in redemption, which is the purpose of creation. Not only that redemption may come to pass in time, but that it shows even in the creation of the world his redemptive power. The purpose of creation is to show that God alone can make all things good. He will do this. Now see this is a promise that we've seen. I've thrown that word out there. This is a promise that we've seen already in the scripture. Beloved, this is why this is one of the reasons, one of the main one of the main Rivers that flow through the assembly of the saints is that we understand God's promises are good. God's promises are certain. And God's promises to his people are eternal life. God's promises to those who are not his people is eternal death. It's a promise, it's a guarantee. It's a done deal. It's a finished work. It's a finished decree. It is already done. That's fatalistic. That's determinism. That's sovereignty. That's good. Because all that God does is good. You know, we, lo- we love the term righteousness. And righteousness is, is, is really the... I mean, it's, it's the package. It's the tag, the bow, the paper, the box, and the contents of the box that has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about righteousness. How is a human being made righteous before the Lord? You see. Not how can you be righteous what can you do to become righteous? How much obedience is required to become righteous? How, what, 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 are you, what response do you have to become righteous versus righteousness? If we are not righteous, that means if we are not good and only God is good, then we will stand in judgment. So with the creative power of God in creation, and creates everything according to His purpose and to his, after the counsel of His own will. And He says that it is good because He has created it in that way. It is good. The only way that we can have hope for eternal life is to know that God has created us and in His creation and in His purposes and in His promises, He has created us in Christ and He has called us good. So the righteousness that is ours is not our own righteousness. It is gifted to us to our credit. It is to our account. We are spiritually, morally, and goodly bankrupt. We are bankrupt in the context of goodness. And though we may mimic goodness, we may mimic righteousness, we may act in righteous ways, it is yet but nothing but the duty of man to do that which is required. And yet even when we do that which is required, guess what happens? We still are dead. Because the law was given that we may die, as you'll see next week. In Genesis 2. That the promise of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Imagine Paul, a doctor of theology. His entire life memorizing, memorizing the Pentateuch. Memorizing Moses. Applying Moses. Teaching Moses. Living Moses. Organizing Moses. Administrating Moses. All these things. And then pursuing with zeal the anti-Moses Christians. And then one day Jesus goes, wake up. See me. And he sees him. And all that comes to supernatural knowledge to Paul. Of the awareness of everything that he thought. All of a sudden, floosh. And some of us are in that same boat, right? We had all manner of Christological ideas and theological ideas and religious ideas and superstitions and and, and Baptist ideas and Methodist ideas and Armenian ideas and Calvinist ideas and all sorts of stuff. And then on one day, God the Son opens our eyes and we go, this is trash. And some of us don't have that testimony at all. Because we never, we never learn that stuff. Our children won't grow up in that culture. But no matter what, whatever our thoughts on righteousness were, the new birth changes them. And we realize that God alone is good. And that if God doesn't credit us with, credit us with His own goodness if He doesn't make us in His own image of goodness, of righteousness, of separateness, holiness, we are condemned. So God's goodness is revealed in redemption. God can make all things good. He will set all things right. And the miracles of Jesus and His ministry Proved that he could. Look at the temporary... I mean, you think about... I mean, John 11 is one of my favorite places that reveal the glory of God in such a perfect way that Lazarus dies. And I get my theology from the Lord and from His Word, but I believe that death is a conscious reality. I believe that Paul understood that by the Spirit of God and he says that when I leave this body, I'm with my Lord. In what sense? In the relationship of righteousness. I don't think we're going to be playing chess or having picture contests or anything. I think we're just going to be in the presence of the Lord. We don't know anything above that or beyond that and then that's enough. And Jesus also says that to the thief on the cross that he regenerates by the Spirit that very moment. When just a few, just a little while, I don't want to say a few minutes or an hour, a little while after mocking him and cursing him, this thief says, remember me when you take your throne. And Jesus says to him, today, you will be with me in glory. Okay. So the revelation of what Christ has done, even in creation, Christ is the creator of the world. We see it in Hebrews chapter 1, we see that in Colossians chapter 1, we see that. We've, we've gone there. The goodness of God is revealed in redemption. Jesus' miracles reveal That though these temporary pictures... Oh, this is where I was going. Lazarus dies. So, this is the point of all this. Lazarus dies and is with God. And then God calls him back to his body. And then, the powers that be of man-centered glory, man-centered religion... Man-centered history. They want to kill him. They want to kill him and kill the very one that rose him from the dead. They resurrected him. Now look at that. That's a temporary... Where's Lazarus now? With Christ. Because he eventually died again. This temporary stuff, these miracles and things are temporary. Creation is temporary. The incarnation was temporary now it's glorification that we look for now it's perfection that we look for we are called perfect because we are in christ perfect because christ is perfect this is the goodness of god in creation that is to point to the goodness of god in redemption and beloved we are not good in and of ourselves we are not worthy to be called good we're not worthy to be loved by god in redemption because there's nothing in us lovable and I've made the joke my entire life, and I've gotten dirty letters from older church members before because it was sort of crude, but I, I often made the joke that the reason that our children are so cute is so we don't kill them. Child protective services. <laughs> you got any ugly children? Okay, all your children are safe. But I mean, think about it. You go to Knuckle Sandwich, and he's like, but it's so cute when they disobey. No, it's not. It's wicked. But I mean, imagine if it was ugly and had a horn growing out of its eye, or, you know, every time it opened its mouth, it gaseous fumes. Left leg scratched the wood floor every time it dragged it over with its big claws at the end. I mean, like, I love this thing, but oh gosh, can we build a pen outside? I mean, you know, we're not lovely. We're not lovable. And the only reason that we are lovely is because God in His goodness has decreed, He has said, we are lovely. He has declared us lovely. Why? Because He has given us before the world began to His Son. Good news. You know why? Because it gets us all off, we're off the hook. We're off the hook. We're not having to work for our salvation. We're not having to become the greater man or the greater woman or the more righteous person. We're not having to get up every day and wonder if we're pleasing or displeasing the Lord and hope that He you know, sees our good efforts. I read Romans again this week. Not a good thing to read in the context of trying to teach Old Testament narratives, but I mean, when you think of Romans 11, I mean, look at that. Basically the Lord says who is he repaying you? Is God doing this because he owes it to you? Have we done something worthy that God's got to pay us back or give us a bonus? No. God's not repaying anything. God has established and created everything for his purpose. The goodness of God is revealed in creation which in the same way then is revealed in redemption. Which also reveals God's goodness in the same way because it is in sovereignty. God is alone the actor in creation. God is alone the actor in salvation. God alone is the actor of making things good and giving things life. Therefore, the gospel of free and sovereign grace is the message of the Bible. And those who reject that message have yet to be born of God. I want you to hear that again. Those who reject the message of the gospel according to the scripture, according to God's sovereignty, according to the freeness of grace, they have yet to be been born of God because they don't see, they can't behold, they can't see the goodness of God in sovereignty. It doesn't mean they're reprobated, it just means they're unconverted. And when they are converted, we celebrate. And when they're not converted, we continue to teach, teach them. We don't have to emphasize the lostness. Let's proclaim the truth. Tell them, look, this is the, the Bible would say you haven't come to know the truth. The Bible says you have not been born again. Let's just now let's look at the truth. But what does the flesh want to do? Well, let's attack. Let's, let's, let's don't let people sideline your evangelism. <laughs> Be bold and state the truth and state that which is true according to Scripture and then stay on that path. Stay on that path. It's okay to say to someone, that's not what the Bible teaches. And if that's what you hope in, you haven't been born of God. It's okay to say that. Or lost, or haven't been saved, or whatever your vernacular might be. In sovereignty, the goodness of God is revealed. In creation, the sovereignty of God, the redemption of God is revealed in creation. The sovereignty of God is revealed in creation. The sovereignty of God is revealed in redemption. The goodness of God is revealed in redemption. The goodness of God is revealed in... You see how this is? So God, in sovereignty, reveals His goodness. He is fulfilling all that He has decreed or said. God said, then He did. God said, then it was. God said, then it became. And He looked and saw that it was good, because He did it. He accomplished it with no help, with no outside influence, with no substance other than His own word. Calling into being that which is. God is fulfilling all that He has said. That He would do. In order to show Himself as Himself. What's another word for that? To reveal His glory. And this includes the purposes for which He has planned every second of time. Beloved, the reason we stay so bogged down in this world as believers... Is because we fail to understand God's goodness and His sovereignty. We hear it. God calls us all things to work together for good. For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And then Paul explains what that is. That's an eternal love for knowledge. That's a decree of destiny destiny in Christ. Predestination. Election. That is the effectual call, all the things that are related to salvation, all in past tense, this that God has said, it is good enough as done, and it is about the eternal glory that we shall share with the Lord Jesus Christ as His redeemed, as His body, as His people, as His adopted, as His beloved, as His cherished children. So in all of that, We hear these words and we think, well, when is God going to bring it out to good and glory? Because I don't know about you, but I've seen some created things that were pretty ugly. And I've seen some beautiful people that were pretty ugly. And I've seen some pretty ugly people that were pretty pretty. pretty. <laughs> From a human way of speaking, subjectively. my beloved we're not looking for things to get better we're waiting for the day of perfection let me say that two more times we're not looking for things to get better we're waiting for the day of perfection we're not looking for things to get better we're waiting for the day of perfection better is still bad better is a temporary quote blessing that takes our eyes off the glory of that Amazing Lord. Beloved, it happens in a second. Don't think that you're by yourself (laughs) and losing sight of the gospel. It's not like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's like seconds. You get up from an incredible time of reading the word. and You might even have some hymns playing in the background. You might even be singing like J.J.'s favorite hymn. Victory in Jesus, you might be singing it. Walk outside, step in a plot because your neighbor's dog came on your sidewalk. And we lose it over that. We lose sight of that. Not only did we lose it, but we lose sight of the gospel. We, we're not focusing on the goodness. We're thinking, I just bought these shoes. I can't believe this. My neighbor is a horrible person. I'm going to kill that dog. I'm going to build a fence for the dog and my child. And we're going to, you know. God is working every second of time from the very beginning when he said, let there be light until the very day when that light is eternally with us and we with him. God is ordaining every second for our good. And we look at each other's lives we think, oh, that's so good. Oh, I wish my life was like that. Beloved, no. Everybody that you see and you say, if you were to talk to them, they'd be looking at somebody else's life. Oh, I wish my life was like that. That life is so good. My life is so bad. Beloved, our lives are awesome in Christ. I've stopped saying, Oh, I feel bad. I'm tired. This is going to be a hard day. I've just tried to change the way I think in that recently. This is the greatest day that ever existed. For this is the day created by God for His purpose and glory in me. Whether I twist my ankle off, or break my face, or fall down a flight of stairs, or die, I still win. Always winning. Because God is sovereign. And the fourth and final thing. Well, let me talk about the aspects of God's sovereignty, and I'll pick up with some of this next week. But there are several aspects of God's sovereignty God, of course, is created decrees in creation. He's also creating His elect sheep and their knowledge of Him and His power and for His purpose. And I think this sovereignty, we need to think about two specific things. We need to think about providence and we need to think about, in the same way, provision. God shows Himself good in providence because in providence, that means that He manages time and everything that happens. Why? For the good of His name, which is for the beneficiaries of His goodness who are His people. You know the false gospels of prosperity that want to say, Oh, you want to live your best life now? Then pray for this and do this and do that. It's garbage. But beloved, sometimes, no not sometimes, every time, a reprobate person, a person whom God has set aside for destruction, ultimately in the end, this is the best they'll ever have it. And they mistake the temporality of good things as real goodness. And a lot of them just give God credit for it. And they thank Him, but they don't know Him. But most of the world takes and never thanks Him. So God, what? Turns them over. And there's not a causation there one to the other, except in one way. God has decreed them reprobate. God uses all things for His glory, all things for His purpose, and no man can answer to Him or question Him. We see that in the writing concerning Job. And in provision, and these things go together, but in provision, God has made provision. I think it's Genesis 22 when or Abraham is taking his son to sacrifice him. Ah, It's good stuff, y'all. And many times during that narrative, the boy says, Father, where is the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? Where is the animal for our offering? And Abraham answers, Son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice this is provision of a good god toward his people he has provided a sacrifice for himself and that is the final thing i want you to see and pun intended the goodness of god is seen in the finality of redemption the finality of creation and then god finished and created all things and he finished it was done and it was all good And he rested. He was complete in his work. God has finished the work of creation. It is lacking nothing. And in that picture, salvation is lacking nothing. It is full and it is finished. And that is why the Son of God on the cross made that his final statement. It is finished. I'm coming home. And then he died. God will give knowledge of this truth by the Spirit to His people in Jesus Christ. And only His people will understand this. Only His people will know this. Only His people will rest and be satisfied in this truth. They will know Him and understand what He teaches. And we will be together as a body in that. The Lord has decreed to save His people. And so it shall be. And God the Father has satisfied His justice, satisfied His wrath, satisfied His love, satisfied His righteousness, which is all bound to His goodness in the person of Jesus. And because of that, we can celebrate, we can remember, and we can rejoice. So beloved, be encouraged today in the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad to be counted in the number of goodness. And I thank you, Father, for the depth at which your word just overflows with this truth. Father, you are good in your justice. You are good in your anger. You are good in your love. You are good in your forgiveness. You are good in your wrath. You were good in creation. You were good in redemption. Father, you were good in all ways. All that you do is good. And it is good. And you are set apart beyond all things. So everything that we know as righteousness, we know because we see you say it and we see you do it. And that is how you have revealed the fullness of all that you are to us. And the greatest thing that you have ever shown us about yourself is Jesus Christ. Face to face, we get to see the fullness of your goodness In the salvation of your people. So, Lord, as we continue to worship this morning, as we taste the bread and the vine, let us know that that is a good taste. And it came at great cost. And we have a lot of great, perfect, glorious hope ahead of us. In Christ, we pray. Let's take time to take the Lord's table in remembrance of this today.